starting at verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I, would, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Um, all of you know someone or have been through yourself that awful disease of cancer. Now let's think about what cancer is. It's, it's that, um, that mutation of, of abnormal cells and, and it's microscopic so you can't detect it at first. But eventually you do because it becomes a tumor or something and, and then you have to treat it. Well, what cancer does is it it balks at the idea of what the body is trying to do, namely to be in harmony for the flourishing of the person. And cancer does its own thing. It's dysfunctional. It causes pain and, and, and disfigurement. It invades. It spreads from the original site into surrounding areas. And if left untreated, it metastasizes by spreading to other body parts. And of course, what it ultimately leads to is death. So spiritually speaking, John is detecting this in the church. This is the impetus for writing this letter as we come to know John's second John. He, he's detecting a spiritual tumor and it's spreading. So, we're, so what we're going to do today is we're going to examine why deceivers are such a threat to the body of Christ and respond with two exhortations that he gives. Look at verse 1-7. It kind of sets the tone for us here. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Okay? So the first word what we see is the word for. And so with that, it, that tells us that we need to read what comes before to get the context. So John starts out the letter with, with a greeting that emphasizes truth. Okay? So this letter is so short I might as well just read it to you. And look how many times he says truth. Okay, look at this. The elder, that's John, to the elect lady and her children, that is the church. Many times the church is referred to as the woman. And so he's not just addressing any lady. But it, it, this is what one of my mentors called Mrs. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and that will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. I mean, right off the bat, we see John, um, within the span of five times, within, uh, within four verses, he's emphasizing truth, 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 
truth. And we saw last week from Pastor Derek that truth isn't just a set of doctrines for you to acknowledge, and then therefore you're a Christian. This is what we believe. Acknowledge it. You're a Christian. Truth is much more than that. Truth is not also uh, a statement like, uh, a truth statement like, um, it's hot outside when it really is hot outside. Or one plus one equals two. Okay? John is doing something far deeper and wider here. Truth is what happens. Truth isn't truth until it's realized in your life. So you can believe it all you want, but if it isn't reflected in your life, it's not truth. Okay? So truth is what happens. It's embodied in Jesus. Truth is what happens when human beings, when you, redeemed in Christ and, 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 and renewed by the Spirit, think, speak, and act in a way that corresponds to God's plan to restore all of creation. If you're being a part of it, then that is truth. So with this in place, then John is ready to give a command which forms the heart of this letter, which is love one another. Love one another. And again, love isn't just here. It's not sentimental. I loved what Derek did a few weeks ago when he goes, when he said sentimental. It's not. Love is an action. To obey is love, and to love is to obey. So today, let's think about our culture today. We live in a culture where love really has a different meaning than what Scripture means. Love usually means tolerance today. You should never insist on anything that this is right Right? Because everyone should be able to form what, in their own mind, what is right. Okay? That's tolerance. You should allow people to do things differently. You should never say that anything is actually wrong. You know why? Because that's unloving. You should never say either that this is the right way of living. This is what's morally right. Still even less, this is the only moral way of thinking. That is absolutely a no-no in our society. That you are being intolerant. You are arrogant. How unloving. Are you guys identifying with this? Okay. So, so this is where our culture stands today. There is only moral rev, re, relevance and there's no absolute truth. And yet, when there's an, a, 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 an injustice that happens, there is an outright cry, right? You can't really have it both ways. But that's where we stand so we got to re-examine ourselves when we think about what is love and truth. They form an inseparable bond. And here's the irony. In this cult of tolerance, um, you would be called unchristian if you're not tolerant. And therefore, if John would be called intolerant, and, and so this is, that's what's the crazy thing is. But here's, there's also the flip side. There are those people that also say, amen, amen, let's go truth, but in no way display the fruit of the spirit of kindness and patience and gentleness, right? But, but that's another sermon. We're going to focus on what John is addressing here. And, 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 and so it's, that's what's crazy is John might be called an unchristian guy. The very guy 
who laid his head on the breast of Jesus Christ. The one of the three that was part of Jesus' most inner circle. The one who witnessed the Lord performing signs and wonders. The one who watched our Lord die on the cross on behalf of his people. The one who saw and touched and heard the risen Savior as he rose from the dead. The one who watched Christ ascend so that he could sit at the right hand of the Father. This same person, this apostle attuned to his master is crying out to you in this letter, watch out. Here, he's getting down to business. Here, he's about as intolerant as you can be. And it's in love, but he's saying to you, Don't be taken in by the deceiver, the anti-Messiah. Don't be hoodwinked by those who follow him. And so here's the critical question that John has been wrestling with and that he's fighting against. And the question is, did Jesus actually come in the flesh? And it's such an important question. We call this in theology the doctrine of the incarnation. And, 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 and this is where it's, this teaches that the Son of God came down to dwell us among us as flesh, fully God, fully man. And so there's this cancerous movement in the first century that was saying, yeah, we acknowledge Jesus came, and that he is God, but in, in no way, shape, or form is he human. Absolutely not, because there was this teaching that the creation itself is evil, This thing that we're stuck in, we're in prison right now. This is gross. Jesus came to save us from it. The hope is to go to heaven and be spirits. And that's the hope. And John is fighting against that because there are young believers who might hear, well, they say Jesus is Lord. What's wrong with that? And they acknowledge that he's God. What could be so bad if he deny his flesh? everything. If you don't acknowledge the truth and live out the truth that Jesus Christ came in flesh, there are several consequences. First, the incarnation affirms the goodness of God's creation. What did God say again and again during creation in Genesis? He said, it is good. Are we to call God a liar? Jesus, by becoming part of creation, what he's doing, he's not destroying creation. He's restoring creation. The incarnation also makes it possible for Jesus to be mediator. Do you know what that means? Mediator is someone who comes together two parties who are at enmity, who are warring against one another, who are in a disagreement and they can't come together. And because of sin, there's an infinite chasm between God and humanity. And so if you think about it, Jesus is the only one qualified to be a mediator because as God, he can represent God, and as a man, he can represent humanity. Is there anyone else in the universe that can do do such a thing? No. The incarnation makes it possible for Jesus to represent humanity with his body. He took on flesh so that he may die 
for our sins. No, nobody, no sacrifice. We, we say with John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God. Without the body, there is none of that. He is, the for, he is what is fulfilled as the Moses' law foreshadows. And without the incarnation, ultimately, there's no resurrection. And that's our hope. You just read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, if you have no resurrection, what are we doing? With no resurrection, there's no hope. So, so no, no, no. Truth must be protected at all cost if we're going to do our mission. We've got this jewel called the gospel of the kingdom of God. And it must be guarded. It must be protected. And this is what makes our mission go. And so it, we can't have a mission if we don't guard it. So this is important. And this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So John wrote this. And now it is canon. And it is for all generations. So this is what we're going to be focusing on. And honestly, I'll be telling you, this is what you'll find out about me. And this is what my wife definitely knows about me. I joke I'm irresponsibly optimistic. I don't like, you know, like, oh, I don't, you know, um, you know, conspiracy theories and, you know, you know, you're going to hell. You know, I, if you know me, I'm just kind of a laid back person. And so I'm like, really? This is my first sermon? But, but this is the word of God. So here we go. He gives us two exhortations to think about. And this is very relevant for us today. And here is a pattern for the two exhortations that we'll have. There's the exhortation itself, then there's the warning, then the encouragement, okay? So that's the pattern that we'll be looking at. Here's the first exhortation as we think about um, guarding and creating a fortress of love around the gospel. And it's to what? Watch yourself. I was a pastor in Portland, Oregon for six years. And from time to time, when someone really connected with the sermon, I could see them visibly go like this to their spouse, as if to say, you hear that? You need to listen. John says this, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we worked for, but may win a full reward. It's really easy to see faults in other people. It's really hard to see our own blind spots. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, I don't even have to finish. You could probably finish this for me. It's such a famous verse. It's been repeated over and over again. The heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than your heart. It is desperately sick. That's what Jeremiah says. Who can understand it? And that's why the Apostle John is telling us, watch yourself. First and foremost, don't be pointing fingers. Where do you stand? How are you doing? Where do you need to grow? What am I doing to love the church so that she may shine in the world? Because that's what we're working for. That's what John is talking about here. We're not talking about losing your salvation. We're talking about the mission, that your, your, your uh, ability to, do, to, ha to have a voice to speak into the world and to, to, to shine your light in the world. That will be lost if you adopt this false narrative and doctrine. So watch yourself. And so I'm a church history guy. That's where I did my doctorate at. And 
um, I've read throughout history, there's always been movements um, that will hijack a Christian term and then kind of change its meaning, right? Well, I, I, I was thinking today maybe we could turn the table on its head and hijack another movement's word. Okay, you ready for this? Jesus Christ came and the kingdom of God is here so that we can have an alternative lifestyle. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Everything is upside down on its head. The world ought to be looking at our community be like, what's going on? Radical love, radical conviction, radical self-sacrifice for one another, a flourishing of the community because of this community. And that's what God's design for humanity always leads to, what the Old Testament calls the shalom, you know, peace, prosperity, welfare. God doesn't promise an easy life, but his wisdom always in the end leads to a flourishing one. In your marriage, in your family, in your company, in your community, city, nation, they all benefit from Christ followers just obeying these two commands in the power of the Holy Spirit, love God and love your neighbors. And so watch, first and foremost, yourself. Does the church soar in her witness to the community because of your presence? Watch yourself. Is your workplace a more productive place because you're there, because you are living in such a way that you are working as unto the Lord and not unto man? Are your clients better served because of yourself? And you, if this is what you'll learn about me. I am passionate about the workplace and, 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 and I can get more into that later. But I, I, I'm, I've been reading up and writing about a, 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 just a bunch of times about what does it mean to be a disciple at work? Because that's so neglected many times. Many Christians think that work is just a place where you make money so you can feed your family. No. I'm, I'm, I'm going off a rabbit trail. I can't go there. But, but watch yourself. Is your family a joyful time to spend time with because of your leadership and because of your commitment to discipleship? Watch yourself. But not just individually, corporately. Blue Valley, is our city a better place because our church exists? That's a serious question we need to ask. This is a question that Image Fellowship, that's the church, the plant that we're going to be starting. That's a question I'm going to, that I'm haunted by. What if all of a sudden Blue Valley is no more? What would the city's reaction be? Would they go ho-hum? Would they not notice? Or would there be a cry? No, 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 where is it? That should be our goal. So watch yourself. Do we faithfully preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to a dying world? Watch yourself. So, so remember the pattern I talked about earlier? Exhortation, warning, encouragement. Let's get into the warning and encouragement. In verses 9 and 10, here's the warning first. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Here's the encouragement. Verse 10, whoever abides in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. You know, with all this talk about watching yourself, we're actually on a slippery slope here. Okay, I guarantee you, if you go to Barnes & Noble or if you go to any bookstore, what you'll find is the biggest section is, are the self-help books. Okay, there are um, shelves after shelves after shelves groaning under the weight of all these books promising you, if you just follow their five steps, or if you just follow their program, you'll be happier, you'll be healthier, you'll be wealthier, you'll be more productive. With these extravagant titles, there's a huge market. And I, I was kind of thinking, you know, if I was a little bit more entrepreneurial, I could use my skill and I could write, you know, uh, productivity according to Proverbs or something like that. That might fly off the shelves, right? So, but I'm just kidding. But, but just this, this is not what John is talking about here. There aren't five or four or ten steps, okay? There's just one step. And it's a step you have to make a decision every day of your life as a follower of Jesus and every hour of your life, namely, will I abide in Christ? no matter where I am at. Not just in the morning, not just in the evening, but throughout the day, doing whatever you want, to, to whatever you are doing. There's no magical formula here. And, and here's what's crazy. The encouragement here is, the promise is, if you abide in Christ, what's the reward? You get to have the Father and the Son. <laughs> How many times does that just fly by Christian's head and be like, okay, examine yourself, watch yourself. Is that your reward? What makes heaven, heaven? The Sunday school answer is Jesus, God. That's where you are transformed from. You're a dead in your trespasses and sin. And when you are made new, you, are, you have this new desire. God, you are first and foremost over everything. I want you, God. That's what it should be like. Um, I love what this one Puritan said, Henry Skugel. You probably don't know him. Young guy, he actually died when he was young, 29. But he left behind an amazing book, a little book. And, and I got this quote from it. He said, The worth and excellency of the soul is to be measured by the object of its love. That's, that's, that's a packed sense. Here's what he's basically saying. You become what you love. Think about it. If it, it it's natural for you to pursue what you love. And, and, and you'll spend time with what you love. And over time, what happens is you conform to what you love. I'll give you an example. Uh, from 2005 to 2008, um, I went to a seminary in Orlando, Florida. And because of the geography... Um, there was a bunch of good old southern boys from Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee. And, and so we spent a lot of time together. Um, and and we, we would eat together. We would, um, a lot of us didn't have kids yet. And we would uh, talk about what we're learning and debate and dream. And, and, and our wives loved spending time together. Then, after we were done, um, moved to Chicago, and I'll never forget, one day, as my colleagues and I were getting to know one another, this one guy 
looked at me and he gave me a puzzled look. And he asked me, where are you from? What do you mean? He's like, you got sort of a twang in your voice. What? I don't have a twang in my voice. He said, yeah, you do. And I, and I realized what happened was I was spending so much time with those boys from Tennessee and Georgia and, and Alabama that they kind of rubbed off on me. So I worked really hard to get rid of it. <laughs> I'm a Kansas boy. You know, people who study broadcast journalism, they come to schools like Kansas and Missouri because we sort of don't have an accent. So, so I was like, are you serious? That's the point that John is trying to make here. As you abide in Christ, you begin to smell and look and just, you're just like Jesus. And people will look at you funny too. Be like, you look like Jesus. And that's what John is getting at here. That's human nature. We just become what we love. So, so that's their first exhortation. Watch yourself. Are you like Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Okay. So here's a second one. Watch out for deceivers. Verse 10. Here's the exhortation. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Now remember, the main teaching that John is trying to guard here is the doctrine of the incarnation, right? Jesus Christ in flesh. And the incarnation shows us that in your abiding in Christ, it was not you who first entered into a relationship with Christ, but Christ first came to you. We love because Christ first loved us, okay? And, and so in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we are told that Christ came into the world and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, but his people did not receive him. No one invited Jesus, and yet here he came. And John 1.14 tells us, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And despite our rejection of God, in love the Son of God came to dwell among one of us. That's amazing love. This is the indispensable truth that we are to hold on to. There were deceivers. Sheep, I'm sorry, wolves in sheep clothing. They're storting the mess of the gospel. And John doesn't go on further here, but the Bible has plenty of places where they talk about such people. Uh, Matthew calls them false prophets. John is uh, telling us in his first letter, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Paul tells us in Romans, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. And then he tells us also in 2 Corinthians 11, such men are false apostles. Watch out. You shouldn't be surprised they're around because Satan himself comes as an angel of light. So watch out. You'll know them by their deeds. Watch out for wolves and sheep clothing in our midst. And say, shoot, I say, watch out that you're not a wolf. Because if you hear any story about any church splits or divisions or infighting and the wolves that have been stirring it up, I guarantee you those wolves didn't know that they were wolves. But you can recognize a wolf by his motivation or her motivation. A wolf doesn't care about the flock. A wolf is, is ravenous. It's hungry. And, and when a person, a wolf in sheep clothing, comes among the people of God, the flock, 
he or her is, is only serving him or herself. What he or she wants. There's no self-sacrifice. There's no um, putting others first. It is all about that person. You can recognize them by their fruit. So John, what he's saying here is, don't receive such a person. Now you might think, well, at first glance, that doesn't make any sense. Seriously, aren't we supposed to love another? Like, are you saying like we're supposed to create a bubble and we can't like be friends with anyone who disagrees with us? That's not what John is saying. Okay, first, he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about us as a church. Don't receive them into your homes. Well, where do they meet? In your homes. Okay, we're talking about the church and they gather don't receive such a person. To receive that is not saying don't be friends with that person. It's saying don't receive their teaching. That's what it's talking about. Because if you receive their teaching, you will also, your life will radically be altered. That's where truth always leads. It's about what happens. And so uh, the, here's, let's end with the, the accompanying uh, warnings and encouragement. The warning in verse 11 is, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's what we were talking about. It, it, that wicked work spreads like cancer and the mission is destroyed. Here's the encouragement, verses 12 to 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Okay? These last two verses is actually a sermon on its own. There's so much packed here, and I only have like two minutes to tell you about this, okay? But, but, but here's what's fascinating. The incarnation informs us how we ought to think about gathering. Uh, uh, Jesus, in the incarnation, he didn't say, I don't know about this. You guys are sickly, spiritually speaking. You are sinners. Disgusting. Can't be with you. No, no, no. He came right among us. He knew the very depth of your soul. He knew all the deepest, darkest recesses of your hearts. And nevertheless, he came to you. What that informs us as, we model, as Jesus models for us life, the kingdom value. John is saying, I don't want to come to you from an ivory tower and write to you a set of doctrines that you ought to believe in and just tell you how you ought to live. I want to be right in the midst of you. If you think about it, paper and ink is technology. It's what advances civilization. And, and so this is what I'm talking about when it's such a huge topic because this also informs us in the pandemic. And it's something that, that, that I know that, that leaders at Blue Valley have been wrestling with. Like, what does it mean to, to, to obey government regulations and be faithful to that and be considerate to other people? And at the same time, this, this right and good desire to gather together. There's no easy answer. And this is not a sermon to do it. And so I'm glad I don't have to tell you to do it. Because it's so much division. Forget about it. But, 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 but it informs us. There's nothing that can replace, even with a Zoom call. There's nothing that can replace meeting together face to face. Christ dwelled among us. And, 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 and so we are, what we're doing as we come together is we, we are to walk in love and truth. So let's conclude by, by, by just reminding ourselves, watch yourself. 
and watch out for deceivers because the stakes are high. Oh, man, it's high. Otherwise, we don't need to watch out for anything. We can just be in peacetime mode and it'll be okay. But you know, and I know, there's a cosmic battle going on. We have the body of Christ to protect. We have a mission that must continue. We have God's name, most importantly, to honor. So we can't be naive to think that Satan is just going to sit back and let you do what you do to advance the kingdom of God. He's got his own kingdom to protect. You're getting in his way. And if you are effective in advancing the kingdom of God, wherever you are at, you can expect it for, him, it, for it to be strategic for him to come after you. But take heart. You don't need to fear. He's on a short leash. He has no power. You have actually more power than you know what to do with because you have the Holy Spirit. His kingdom will be victorious. And that's the good news. You are more than conquerors. So, watch out for yourself and watch out for deceivers. Let's pray.